Amen. Amen. Great. Great tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tonight. Excited to share this passage with you tonight. And while you're finding that, just want to encourage you guys to be praying already for Sunday. I, I just, I mean, every message is, is important for the church, but I'm really excited to share this closing message in 2 Thessalonians on Sunday. And in fact, I'm so excited. Maybe we could meet Thursday or Friday. I don't think I can wait till Sunday. Um, and then, of course, next Tuesday, we'll be back in the cafeteria, uh, continuing our study of 2 Corinthians. And next week, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. And just a great chapter on encouraging us in ministry and service. Every Christian should be a minister, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we seek to serve the Lord, I think that chapter next week is going to be in great encouragement. But I think tonight's is going to be as well. Because God, as we talked about Sunday, wants to make us strong. God also wants to build confidence into our life. God wants to build courage into our life. And we see a lot of things out of this chapter that really, I think, encourage us towards that end. In fact, before we look at verse 1 of chapter 3, notice a couple verses with me. One of the key verses is verse 4 of chapter 3, where Paul says, Now we have such confidence in God through Christ. Confidence. Why does Paul have such confidence? We're going to talk about that tonight. And then if you jump over to chapter 3, verse 12, after all that Paul has said in the first 11 verses, notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, based upon everything I've already said, since we have such hope, we behave with great boldness. The word means fearless, confidence, courage, and assurance. So that's what God wants to talk to us about tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. How can we have such confidence and courage in living the Christian life, in making Christ known to others? Well, first of all, I want you to notice as we begin in the first couple verses of chapter 3, that it is God's will to use our lives to impact others. We need to remember that. God doesn't just want to use me and, and Lisa and Nicole and Crystal and and our elders, and our ministry directors, God wants to use every one of you to impact other people because you're going to have a sphere of influence that the rest of us don't have. That's why God spreads us out. That's why God sows his people in different places, in different neighborhoods, puts them in different places because he wants to spread out his witness and he wants to use you to impact others. In fact, notice in verse 2, Paul says, you yourselves, speaking of the Corinthians, are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, revealing that you are also a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on stone tablets, but on tablets of human hearts. I'm going to go back to that, but the reason why Paul was writing this, just a little bit of historical background, I don't want to get too involved with it. In Paul's day especially, there were a lot of traveling ministers. And in order for churches to know whether this minister was legit over another minister, they would come with letters of commendation or recommendation or, you know, what we would say today is reference letters. That's what Paul means in verse 1 when he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? 
We don't need letters of recommendation or commendation or reference to you or from you as some other people do, do we? No, we don't. Because God has already used Paul and his team to impact the Corinthian church. They planted the church. They started the church. They founded the church. And the church is growing. And God is working in this church. But here's the point I want to go back to. It is God's will to use your life to impact others. Notice again what Paul says very importantly in verse 3, revealing that you are a letter of Christ. So Christ wants to write a message to other people through you. And then Paul says, delivered by us. The word delivered means to serve, to minister, to wait upon. In other words, Paul's saying, Christ actually wants to write a letter to other people using your life, but in the way he's going to do it, the way God chooses to do it is to use other Christians to be part of that. That other Christians, as we serve, as we share our gifts that God has given us, then God will use our lives to, in a sense, impact others so that God then can use their life to send a message to others. That's why it's so important to be part of a local church. That's why it's important to have connection with other believers because how can God write his message to other people and have it delivered by other Christians if you're never rubbing up against other Christians, allowing them to impact your life so that in turn you can impact other people's lives. And that's true of you too. God wants to use your life to impact other Christians so that then he can use their influence on you as part of what he's doing to, in a sense, write a message to other people. But notice the key here in verse 2, that in order to impact others, we've got to be willing to allow them into our heart. Not everybody, but a few, even a few. We've got to allow them into our heart and make room for them. Notice what Paul says in verse 2. You yourselves are our letter. But notice what he says next. Written on our hearts. Literally inscribed, engraved. Today we could even maybe use the word tattooed. Paul says, here's why God used us with you Corinthians. Because we allowed you into our heart and we inscribed you on our heart. I've shared this with you before, this principle. We may impress people from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. And if you want to impact others, if you want others to impact you the way God wants it to happen, then we've got to be willing to at least write a few people's names and lives on our hearts. God wants to use you to impact other people. And he, he wants to do it. And he's going to use other Christians as part of that. In order then, through you, to send a message to other people. I hope that will give you confidence tonight. God did not save you. And, and just say, that's it. It's good enough. No, he wants to, in fact, that's one of the reasons why he didn't just save somebody and then zap them to heaven. 
He left us here because he wants to use us to make an impact on other people, both Christian and non-Christian, which is what Paul is saying. Now, that's a daunting task, obviously, to think that God wants to use my life to impact other people. But here's another thing that should give us confidence, beginning in verse 4. Our ability to affect others effectively comes from God. It does not come from us. We don't have to try to somehow stir it up within ourselves. We just have to learn to depend on God to equip us, give us the resources, empower us to do what he's called us to do. That's why Paul says in verse 4, Now we have such confidence in God through Christ. Even though this seems like a really daunting task that God wants to use my life to impact others, he says not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. Our ability to, again, affect others effectively doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And Paul then goes on to say, who made us, verse 6, adequate to be servants of a new covenant. It's God who makes us fit. It's God who equips us with power to perform the duties that he calls us to. That should give you confidence in your Christian life. You never have to go out there seeking to follow God's will for your life on your own, in your own power. God doesn't send you out there and go, well, sink or swim, you know. No, he goes with you. And he goes with us every step of the way. And so we never have to feel like we are trying to impact other people's lives on our own, by ourselves, coming up with it ourselves. It's all of God. And Paul's hoping that that truth will bring confidence to the Corinthians. That's why, going back to verse 4, he says, we have such confidence in God through Christ. Because if Christians just allow God to work through them, and take over, God's going to do it. Again, it's not our ability as Christians, it's our availability. It's simply giving ourselves to God and letting God do the rest. A great biblical example of this would be the little boy who shared his lunch with Jesus and the 12 disciples, and Jesus multiplied that lunch and fed thousands of people. God doesn't ask us to give him what we don't have. He simply asks us to give him what we already have, and he will be the one to multiply it, to expand it, to make the impact. All he's asking from us is, will we make ourselves available? Now, our affecting others is not based on living up to the law, but on living by the Spirit. That's why in verse 6 he says, who made us adequate to be servants of a new covenant, a new arrangement, not based on the letter, but on the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, one of the things that you and I need to realize too is, it's not about a set of rules as a Christian. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. Because what Paul says is that kind of of trying to live that way in order to be good enough and be used by God actually does just the opposite of what we're hoping it will do. 
We're hoping that if we're just good enough and that we, you know, do the right things all the time and all that, that somehow God will use our lives to impact others. And when we live that way, rather than by the dependency of the Spirit, we actually suck the very spiritual life out of us. That's what it means by the letter kills. It deprives us of spiritual force and life and vitality. It is when we learn to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to to yield to the Spirit, that we really have spiritual power and increase, which is what it means when Paul says the Spirit gives life. A Christian, for instance, who is serving the Lord and trying to make their life count and be used to impact others, when they begin, and we've all been there, all of us, I've been there many times, when we begin to experience spiritual burnout in a sense, and we're losing that vitality and, and that energy and whatever, most of the time we can point back to this very principle. We have gotten off track somewhere, and we are now beginning to try to, to do it on our own, and we're trying to adhere to this and that instead of just resting in the Spirit and letting the Spirit carry us along like the wind. All we need to do every day is put up our sail like the sailboat and the Spirit will guide us and lead us. And it's so much more efficient that way. And that's what Paul's saying here. And that should give you confidence. You don't have to wake up every day and try to be good enough. You don't have to wake up every day and try to live by a set of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. All that God asks of us very simply simply and to simplify the christian life is just to be obedient to the spirit just to live by the spirit instead of living by the letter of the law the ministry of the spirit paul's going to begin pointing out in verse 7 is superior and sufficient to everything else first of all even based back on verse 6 the effect of the spirit isn't external it's internal see in the old testament It was a lot about externals. But when the new covenant came, when the new arrangement came through the Spirit, it's not about externals anymore. It's about internals. And here's another thing that makes the Spirit's ministry superior and sufficient. It's not about the head. It's about the heart. We talked about that Sunday. It's not about the head. A lot of people have a lot of head knowledge, but it never really makes a difference. It never never gives them strength. It never gives them spiritual vitality because you and I can fill our head with all kinds of scripture and all kinds of facts. But until the spirit of God and the word of God grips our heart, that's why the spirit's ministry is so superior. And then beginning in verse seven, Paul wants to go back to an Old Testament example of Moses. And he wants to also remind us that one of the other reasons why the Spirit's ministry is superior and sufficient to even that in the Old Covenant is because his effect isn't temporary, it is permanent. In other words, when God does something through the Spirit, it's lasting. That's the difference between Reformation, which man can do, and transformation, which we're going to talk about tonight, that only God can do. Reformation is where man tries to clean himself up from the outside in. Transformation is where we allow God to do his work from the inside out. That's what lasts. Reformation, you may be able to do it for a while, but eventually it's not going to last. Transformation does. That's why Paul then says in verse 7, If the ministry 
that produced death. Carved in letters on stone tablets came with glory. And Paul here is not minimizing or diminishing the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. He's simply reminding us as Christians in the New Testament age why we should have such confidence. Even though we as Christians, when we read the Old Testament, you know, we, we think, you know, we, we, wow, I wish, I wish I had what Moses had. I wish I had what Joseph had. I wish I had what, what Noah had and all that. And what Paul's going to frankly tell us as Christians today is you have more advantages today under the ministry of the Spirit in the New Covenant than they ever did from the Old Covenant. It was glorious. But what God brought in through Jesus Christ and the Spirit is much more glorious. Because he goes on to say, this came with glory so that the Israelites could not even keep their eyes fixed on the faces of Moses because of the glory, the brightness, the splendor of his face. A glory which was made ineffective, literally fading or passing away. How much more, and you'll notice this three times in these verses, in verse 8, in verse 9, and verse 11, the words, how much more? He wants to show us how much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if indeed there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? He's going back and he's definitely contrasting the old covenant with the new, and he's simply telling us something we should already know. That when God gave the law, the Old Testament law, that was never designed by God to save anybody. Going back to the letter, kill. The Old Testament law was never given to show people somehow I can be good enough to get my own way to heaven and my own way to God. It was just the opposite. It was given as such a high standard to show human beings, I can't do that on my own. I can't live up to that. I can't be that. I can't live up to the law so that hopefully everyone will eventually come to the same conclusion. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to fall on the mercy of God and humble ourselves before God and accept his sacrifice through Jesus Christ. That's the only way man can be right with God. Not by us trying to live up to the letter of the law. The letter kills. The letter brings condemnation. The law doesn't do anything but show us how sinful we are. But the ministry of the Spirit, that can produce righteousness. That's why people who try to live to be good enough, who live by a set of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, just are so frustrated all the time. Because as hard as they try, and I'm not, I'm not questioning their sincerity and, and how, how maybe diligent they are in trying to live up to the law, they never will. It will always end in failure and frustration. So he says in verse 10, indeed, what had been glorious now really in comparison has no glory because of the tremendous greater glory of what replaced it. And what replaced it was the ministry of the spirit, the ministry that now you and I get to experience. That's why we should have such confidence. You know, we look at people like, again, Moses, and we go, wow, I wish I had the advantages Moses had, but he's like, don't envy Moses. You've got more advantage through the ministry of the Spirit than Moses ever had under the old arrangement. Because again, he says in verse 11, if what was made ineffective came with glory, and it did. The Old Testament was glorious. I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff associated with it. 
How much more has what remains, what abides, what continues, what endures come in glory? And so it's because of that that he writes verse 12. Therefore, based upon the fact that the supernatural resources that God supplies us now, the Spirit, the church, the completed Word of God, all of these things. He says these things should give us great confidence and courage. That's why he writes verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, a hope in all that God has given us and supplied us, we behave with great boldness. Wow. And notice, notice what he says in verse 13. First four words. And not like Moses. See, Moses actually had a disadvantage that we don't have. Because the story is, if you go back to Exodus to read it, he would go spend time with God in God's presence. And obviously, it, it would just transform him in a, in a sense. You know, his, his face did sort of show visibly that he had been in the presence of God. And, and for a while, it was so bright that he literally would have to hide it, and the Israelites couldn't look at it. But then he also kept the veil on until the next time he went to see God because he was hiding the fact that all of that brightness and splendor was also fading. It didn't last. It wasn't enduring. See, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us that should give us great confidence is we don't have that same deal. We don't go into God's presence today as New Testament Christians, somehow soak up God's glory, and then go out for a while and hopefully real quickly try to impact people before the glory starts to fade. Paul says we don't have to worry about that. When we have the Spirit permanently indwelling us, We've got God's glory that we can carry everywhere at all times, and it never has to fade. We never have to worry about going back into God's presence necessarily and getting recharged. We simply have to appropriate what we already have, is what Paul is saying. And that's something a lot of Christians just, they don't understand. Now, he goes on to say, Another reason why we need to have confidence and courage is because as we try to impact lives, Christian or not, and in this passage we're going to look at, specifically, I think he's talking about non-Christians, but I want to use Christians here today too. One of the things that causes discouragement and begins to sort of eat away at Christians' courage and confidence in God using them to impact others is because every once in a while when we go out there and we try to let God use us, we get rejected. And here's what God wants to tell us through Paul tonight in 2 Corinthians. He wants to tell us that rejection isn't because of anything deficient in us or our message. It is because of hard-heartedness and the power of darkness. Please hear me say that tonight, folks. Because every one of us is going to experience rejection as we want God to use us. Not everyone's going to embrace the fact that we want to be Jesus and show them Jesus and all that. We're going to get pushed back. We're going to get rejected. And many times when that happens, that begins to discourage Christians. Then they begin to question themselves. Well, maybe I'm not who I should be or maybe I'm not 
good enough or maybe I don't know enough. Maybe the message is something. Maybe I'm just not doing it well enough. You all have went there, I know, because guess what? I have too. We all go there. But Paul is wanting to remind us the reason why we should always keep our confidence and fearless courage is because the pushback and rejection isn't manifesting that somehow we're deficient when we walk in the spirit and try to impact others or that the message that we carry is deficient because Paul clearly said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God into salvation. And just because people reject the gospel doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the gospel. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have the power to save. It is just an illustration that men's hearts are hard-hearted and the power of darkness is working. That's why Paul then begins to say after verse 12 and verse 13, and not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. But their minds were closed. The word closed literally in the Greek means hardened. In fact, it comes from a word that means stone. Their hearts were hard-hearted. It wasn't that Moses... See, when, when you start to doubt God could use you, well, guess what? Everybody that, that Moses bumped into and, and tried to share God with, they didn't fall down at Moses' feet and go, oh, Moses, you know, minister to me, I'll, I'll whatever. No. Moses faced rejection. Every servant of God throughout history faced. Jesus himself faced rejection. We've got to not connect rejection of who we are and who God wants us to be and who God's calling us to be and the message that we need to share with others. We cannot connect that to our confidence and courage. We cannot begin to think that somehow we're deficient or the message is deficient. So then he goes on to say, oh, and it's not just hard-heartedness. He says, for to this very day, verse 14, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read it has not been removed because only in christ is it taken away but until this very day whenever moses read a veil literally lies it literally buries covers their minds wow we have got to remind ourselves that god just wants us to go out and sow seed in the spirit Not everyone's going to accept the seed, but that's okay. What if one does? What if you invite, say, I'm using this as an example, and many of you, you, I just appreciate you so much going out and inviting people to come on Tuesday night and Sunday. That's why we've had so many new people lately. It's because of you. It's not our advertising. We don't do it. And many of you, you might go out and invite 10 people to church. Nine of them may reject. But one may say, yeah, I'll go with you. Well, don't focus on the nine. I know, we're human. We focus on the nine that said no rather than the one that said yes. And what Paul's basically saying is, you've got to get to a point where you don't. And where you don't start questioning God being able to use you or that something's wrong with what you're doing. If you're being led in the Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit and you just want God to use your life, then just because you face rejection, you and I have to remind ourselves it's because men's hearts are closed and because the power of darkness is at work. 
then I'm getting to the most exciting stuff here in the last 15 minutes. The other thing Paul says is this. Each person must be willing and want to change. That's another thing. That's why he says in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Literally, taken away entirely. The word turn is a word where we get our New Testament concept of repentance. It literally means to change your mind. But it implies that there comes a point in that person's life where they really are willing and want to change. See, we can't force anyone to change. We can't make anybody to change. And God doesn't hold us responsible to change somebody else. That's something else that should give us great confidence and courage. He wants us to certainly make an impact. But the change, if it's going to happen, and the transformation that God wants to bring in our lives and in other people's lives has to come from within. You and I cannot change anybody, nor can we truly transform ourselves. That comes from God. And it truly comes whenever we really want to change or when someone else really wants to change. And when they're really willing and want to change, then I'm going to show you what begins to happen from God's perspective. This is exciting. But I want you to keep that in mind. Because everything else now I'm going to share the rest of tonight doesn't take place in a Christian's life or even an unbeliever's life until that person is willing and wants to change. Only, only when they are willing to turn to the Lord, verse 16, does the veil begin to be removed. And we're going to talk about what that is here now in verse 17. Before, though, we go any further, Paul sort of has a quick aside. He throws in a really big, important theological doctrine before he moves on. But I think it's, it's obviously in the context. He tells us in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And basically, Paul, before he goes any further in talking about the Spirit, wants to remind the Corinthians and us, the Spirit is God. The Spirit is God. He is just as much God as Jesus Christ the Son and God the Father. Remember, three persons. The Godhead, equal. The Holy Spirit isn't any less God than Jesus and God the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Lord too. So, for instance, I hope as a Christian you don't go, well, the Father loved me. Jesus died on the cross for me. and Now I just carry around the Spirit. Can you imagine how that makes the spirit feel? Oh, okay. I mean, I'm just the spirit. Folks, realize something here, what Paul's trying to say to all of us tonight. You've got God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And he's just as much the Lord as Jesus and the Father is. Anything that they can do, he can do, and he's with you 24-7. The Lord is the Spirit. 
And then he goes on to say, and where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. Now, I want to share something with you that may be a new perspective on this principle and this passage that maybe you've never heard before. In the context of the passage, freedom here, unlike other places, is not talking about freedom from condemnation, freedom from death, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage to the law. Here, the freedom that the Spirit brings when one is willing and wants to change and turns to the Lord is the removal of spiritual barriers to spiritual understanding. In other words, let me say it this way. When one is willing and wants to change, whether they're Christian or not Christian, then the Spirit gives them freedom to have spiritual understanding. The spiritual understanding that comes from this freedom that the Spirit brings, though, doesn't come into a person's life until they're willing and want to change. See, we want just the opposite. We want God to give us spiritual understanding before we're willing to change. So please see how important this is tonight. God will not give us that freedom that comes with the Spirit to understand at a deeper level until we're willing to change. When we're willing to change, then the freedom of of spiritual understanding comes. And when that comes, then comes reflection. Freedom, then reflection. Notice what Paul said. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all then, with unveiled face, uncovered face. In other words, once we're willing to change, the spirit will remove the barriers of spiritual understanding. And then we will begin reflecting the glory of the Lord. Reflection. I want to take you real quickly over to chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians. I think this will help explain reflection. We'll talk about this verse, by the way, more in depth next week. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. That's reflection. See, Let's go back, because I want you to get this tonight. This is so important. When one is willing and wants to change and truly turns to the Lord, the Spirit comes in and gives freedom. That freedom is the removal of barriers to a greater spiritual understanding. Then the light of God comes in and begins to shine the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ to us. We begin to see things we've never seen. It's like, whoa! I've never seen that before. But again, see, we want God to show us the whoa before we're willing to change. No. God says, you've got to want to change. Then the Spirit will give you the freedom to begin to understand, and that light of the glorious knowledge of God will begin to shine in your life through the face of Jesus Christ. And you will begin to reflect His light of His knowledge 
out of your life to other people's lives, guess what? Then so they can be impacted by the knowledge of God that he's giving you. And it's then at that point that transformation takes place. Notice the sequence. I'm going back again to verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, then reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Changed. How does change take place? Change takes place when we depend upon the Spirit and yield to the Spirit. That's when change takes place. That's why he says, the Lord's the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And that freedom is going to give us greater understanding so that we can begin to reflect the light of God's knowledge throughout our life. We're going to see things. And those things that begin to dawn in our being as we yield and depend upon the Spirit is going to begin to bring about change in our life. Transformation from the inside out. True change. Lasting change. Permanent change. Because that's the contrast between the old covenant and the new. The change that Moses felt when he was with the Lord, was only temporary. The glory faded. It vanished after a time. Then he'd have to go back. What the Spirit does in our lives is lasting. It's permanent. It's eternal. Yet this should be encouraging to you as we wrap this up tonight. These changes that Certainly, God wants to bring about, especially the change to just make us more like Jesus, is progressive. Notice what he says in verse 17 and verse 18. I'll just go to 18. And we all with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, again, this should encourage all of us. God doesn't bring about the changes in our life all at once. It is a continual progression. As I share with Christians all the time, with God, it's never about perfection. Because we're never going to be perfect. The law, in fact, shows us from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we can't be perfect. We can't live up to that. But what God does expect from a New Testament Christian who's been given all these resources that are superior to the Old Testament? Progress. Progress. Continual progress from this level of glory to this level. Reflecting Jesus a little bit more each day, each week, each month. As a Christian, we should always be able to say, if we're in a good place, that we're a little bit more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. A little bit more like Jesus this month than we were last month. We're a little bit more like Jesus this year than we were last year. And folks, the only way that can happen is when we're committed to spiritual growth. Allowing God to change. Because, let's face it, 
you and I at some times, we've been there and we know other Christians have been there. If they were honest, they would say, I really don't want to change. I like who I am. I like where I'm at. I don't want to change. And then they wonder why they keep going around. I keep having to learn the same things over and over again. Because, see, God's not going to take them any further or take you and I any further down the path of maturity until we learn this. And if we're not willing to change, then he's going to just keep bringing that around again until we finally go, okay, God, uncle, I give. But when that happens, when that happens, then the Spirit of God brings freedom, brings reflection, and brings transformation. And he does it little bits at a time. Little bits at a time. And then finally, these changes are not only progressive. Again, Paul reminds us as he ends this great chapter, these changes are from the Lord, the Spirit. Notice what he says at the end of verse 18. From one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, you and I don't affect the change in our own lives. And again, we can't change others. The only way we truly change is when we allow the Spirit of God to change us. That's the only way. Real change, transformation, biblical transformation takes place. It's only from the Lord who's the Spirit. So if the Spirit is not transforming our lives, then we're really not being transformed. We might be changing because. We're being guilted into it. We're being coerced. We're being manipulated. Uh, We're changing because we're trying to reform ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves something. But the only way any human being can truly be transformed from the inside out and make it stick and make it last is when they're willing to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to change. That's all God's looking for. Because then the Spirit of God floods in and brings freedom, reflection, and transformation. Little bits at a time. That's why I'm going to say this. Be patient with yourself. Because the change that you may want to see go a little bit faster might be right on God's timetable. Because in order for it to stick over the long haul, God isn't going to jerk you and I from this place spiritually to this place. He's going to do it little bits at a time so that we get it and then can move on. So be patient with yourself when it comes to the spiritual changes and be patient with each other. Oh my goodness, we're going to talk about this Sunday. You sure you don't want to come back Friday? Because I don't think I can wait till Sunday. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this is why we have to be so patient with each other. Because we need to be patient with us about the changes that need to happen. We also need to be patient with one another. And we need to also remember this. Real change only comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. Doesn't come any other way. We can't change anybody. 
no one can really change us. The only real change comes when we turn to the Lord, yield to the Spirit, surrender to the Spirit, and let the Spirit do what the Spirit does best. Transform our lives to make us look more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. After my prayer tonight, if I could just ask you guys to just sit tight for a minute, I just want to share a couple of important announcements. Lord, as we come before you tonight, we pray that the message of this chapter would truly sink deep into our hearts. Lord, I believe that you inspired Paul to write this and make it a part of of your word so that you could give Christians confidence and courage as we live our lives. You want us to live every day with confidence that, that we're not deficient in anything, that we're not lacking in anything. There is nothing, Lord, more that we need As Peter said, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have the Holy Spirit who is God. He's the Lord living inside of us. We have the completed word of God. We've got our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's so much that you have supplied us with that instead of always looking at ourselves as somehow lacking and deficient, God, I think you wrote this chapter to remind us that we're not deficient in anything and therefore we should carry ourselves with courage and confidence every day we live. But God, you also wrote this chapter to remind us how change takes place, both in our lives and in the life of others. And God, so often, We want that greater spiritual understanding. We want that greater knowledge. We we want you to show us more about your plan before we're willing to truly change. But God, you've clearly said tonight, the change has to come first. Then comes the freedom. Then comes the reflection. Then comes the transformation. Little bits at a time and only by the Spirit of the Lord. God, help us tonight to be who you created us to be. Help us tonight to be who you called us to be. And help us to be patient with ourselves. Help us not to be too hard on ourselves. Help us to realize that this change that you're bringing about and will continue to bring about even if we're on a path of growth, it's from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, little bit at a time. And God, help us to be patient with each other because it's the same for all. God, maybe some of us this next week Maybe we just need to get back and just read 2 Corinthians 3 over and over again. And just let the Spirit of God remind us of the truth of this great chapter. Thank you for all these folks who came out tonight. 
Thank you for their hunger for your word and for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Real quickly, guys, before.